seems like every time I come to Abiding Shepherd, it just gets weirder. Not, not you guys. I mean, like this whole setup that we've got just gets stranger and stranger. Uh, you know, I came back uh, four years ago and it was weird to visit as a pastor. And then I came back uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was weird to see the congregation all spread out and have all these new regulations. And now it's even weirder as we all sit here uh, wearing masks as I wear a mask. But I have to acknowledge it's got to be even weirder for you guys, right? Because usually when your pastor is talking to you through a mask, if you came, if you saw my face uh, and masked and talking to you normally, that means you've got really bad news, right? It's generally a terrible thing if the, mas- if the uh, pastor is masked and speaking to you because you're probably on your back in a hospital bed, and uh, things have gone very, very south. Can you imagine? I mean, it makes it, maybe our current circumstances make that even easier to picture. Uh, this idea that you flicker awake, and you're looking up, and all of a sudden, here's this over you, and saying, God loves you very much, everything's going to be okay, and the kind of feelings that you have when you're racked by that kind of sudden and abrupt uncertainty, Right? You'd wonder, first off, what's going on? Is this really bad? Is this merely very bad? Just knowing that you don't know causes a lot of anxiety. It causes a lot of fear. It causes a lot of doubt. Doubt is one of those things that constantly plagues the Christian. And there's some very good reasons for that, which we're going to explore today. But it's also one of those things that can undercut our faith in a, very, uh, in a very alarming type of way. So today let's take a look at doubt. Let's take a look at what happens when we question our faith. One of the things that I've always been happy about with Abiding Shepherd and that I was always grateful to Pastor Krause for teaching me was that it's good to question. You ought to ask questions about the Bible. You ought to ask questions about your faith. But sometimes those questions seem like they've gotten a little too deep and they cause a lot of uncertainty. I said before, we're going to be looking at the book of Jude for this today. Jude is another one of those one chapter books. If you're just looking, if you want to make some genuine progress uh, reading the Bible and you don't have much time, reading the book of Jude takes about three minutes. It's a very short book. And uh, it's a little hardcore though. Uh, because the whole book of Jude is spent with him absolutely pounding on, well, sin in general, but even more particularly, sinners. The uh, attacks in Jude, the, uh, uh, the condemnations, have a kind of personal nature to them, right? He, he ties the wickedness of sin to the sinner, And he comes through this rather long polemic, this rather long uh, uh, attack. And then, right before the doxology, he concludes with our verses today. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. 
Now, the way Jude relays this is he's talking about what we are supposed to do with other people. But of course, anytime you want to treat somebody else, if you're trying to remove the speck from somebody else's eye, first you, you move the plank from your own, right? So if we're going to treat mercifully those who doubt, we'd better look at our own doubt first. What is our doubt and where does it come from? Actually, the word that gets used for doubt in these words kind of illuminates that a little uh, bit for us. It's diakronomenos. Uh, uh, it's, uh, uh, you can divide it up. It's kind of a compound word, right? So the first part, that dia, is thoroughly back and forth. In other words, you're, you're moving rapidly and decisively between two separate things. And... Then there's this crino, judge, separate, distinguish. So in other words, you've got these two massively different things inside of your own head. You've got these two massively different ideas. And you vacillate between them very quickly. Where does this division come from? First off, this division is something it's literally impossible for a Christian to avoid. We were all born sinful. As we know, Jesus reached out, snatched us up, gave us faith. So now there is a part of me that is fully and entirely holy, fully and entirely good, a part of me that wants to do God's will and wants to do it perfectly. But that doesn't mean that that other bit of me, my old Adam, is suddenly gone. My old Adam is still inside of me. So I've got two pieces of me that are constantly there and absolutely diametrically opposed to one another. Doubt is literally going to be inevitable. Because as, uh, because, as we see from this word, world, uh, word, I am constantly going to be in a position where I'm going to have to be judging between two different states of me. And, uh, and as long as I've got those two states in me, I'm going to be stuck with doubt for forever. It's kind of annoying, actually. Because, uh, you know, when I was a kid... I looked at the pastor and I said, there's a guy who knows what's going on. You know, maybe, maybe if I ever do that one day, and then I would laugh because no way. Uh, if I ever do that one day, then obviously I wouldn't have any doubt. So I went to seminary and I was like, doggone it, huh? I'm still not 100% confident. Well, but these professors of mine, holy cow, they know everything. They're geniuses. They, they, they clearly are going to be free from doubt. I will tell you, as a seminary professor, this is, you are still a house divided. It never goes away. It's persistent and it lasts. As long as you have your new man and your old Adam, doubt will persist. I kind of like the way our verses talk about uh, the old Adam, actually. If you take a peek, it says, uh, hate even the clothing that has been stained by 
corrupted flesh. What, what is it really talking with, with the word clothing there? The, it's not talking about like the big over, uh, over robes. If you really look at the word, it's actually referring to clothing that's pressed up against your skin. It's talking about your underwear. It's talking about undergarments, right? Well, all of a sudden now, this takes on a whole new, very colorful and deeply nasty uh, type of look. Hate even the clothing, the undergarments that have been stained by corrupted flesh. It, we have a visceral response to that. One of the uh, first, I know uh, my uh, parents had their first huge fight over an issue exactly like this. Dad would uh, uh, take off his socks after a long day of work and they'd form those little like sock donuts, you know, all drippy and sweaty and stuff. And he'd leave them on the floor and she almost killed him. Right? Why would you kill somebody over a sock donut on the floor? It's as disgusting a thing as I can think of, right? Sock donuts are gross. The stu- having stained undergarments gives us a visceral sick reaction. And that's the reaction that he's saying we ought to have when we encounter sin. This is something that lives inside us. And we're supposed to have this level of revulsion uh, towards it. And frequently, we do. So, we are people who are of two minds. It is persistent. It will always be with us as long as we have faith. If you lose faith, you can lose your doubt. Just like that. All of a sudden, you have one mind. It's a mind that's dragging you to hell, but the doubt is suddenly gone. As long as you're a Christian, your old Adam, your new man, are always going to be there, and you're always going to have to deal with this. That's the worst pastoral advice in human history. Deal with it. Deal with it is not particularly helpful. But that's not like we're being left on our own. And in fact, when we think about the nature of faith, and we really think about the, nature, the way that the Bible presents faith, we suddenly have an outlet for it. You know, just knowing that everybody else is in the same boat as us, right? Everybody else deals with the same doubts if they're a Christian. That ought to help. Except, literally the whole point of our religion in this world is that your faith saves you. So those doubts that creep in on us really do terrify. Am I going to be saved because of the doubts that I have? And, you know, you see uh, quotes like this, and they're so inspiring, right? A faith that can move mountains. I just think it would be a lot more inspiring if with any regularity I saw mountains throwing themselves into the sea and, and uh, faithful Christians standing alongside praying. Just knowing that everybody else doubts doesn't really help when the absolute cornerstone of my confidence for salvation is faith. So how does this get rectified? How is it that Christ addresses this? Well, once again, we can see the answer uh, in our text. Uh, We're going to take a look at this uh, word, uh, arpazontis. Arpazontis is that word that says snatching, right? Oh, there we go. Uh, Is that word that says snatching, right? Uh, Think about this as a really aggressive type of action. You're seizing by force. You're taking a bounty 
right? You're, 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 uh, you're really subduing something. Take openly by show of force. Sometimes when we talk about uh, the way in which Jesus reaches out for us, we have this, this kind of passive thing. You see Jesus and he's kind of like, you know. And then you see the, the person just like hurling themselves. From, even that, that, that gospel lesson that we had earlier with uh, Peter uh, walking on water. Think about every depiction you've ever seen of that, uh, of that instance. It's always Jesus is kind of standing there like this, right? And Peter, both hands, he's scrambling in the water, reaching up uh, for Christ. But that is simply not the picture that's being delivered here, right? The picture that's being delivered here is much more like what she would be screaming, right? This is a seize him type of thing. Think about when somebody is drowning, what that looks like to be seized. Uh, I've got a video here. Hang on just a second, Dave. Uh, I will say this is a distressing video. However, I want to let you know this is your spoiler alert. The boy who falls into the pool is perfectly fine and he's well rescued. But I do want to let you know it, it gets real for a little bit here. But I want to take a look at this so that we can think about how this applies to how Christ grabs us. Okay, go ahead, Dave. Thank you. So you can see there's a little boy up there in the right-hand side. He's three years old, and he slips in, and he's just gone. He's very useless right now. You can just barely see his fingers brushing the top of the water. But he's not able to do anything. Here comes the guard. He dives down, grabs him, yanks him out. That is the action. It lends a different context to this, uh, uh, oh, did I rewind it? Sorry, can we advance to the next one? That's my fault. I don't usually use videos of sermons. <laughs> Dave, can you click off of the video for me? I think that's what's keeping me from doing the, or not. Anyway, we, uh, uh, when, uh, there we go, perfect. Uh, when Jesus, uh, when we take these images like this, it's nice to see confident Jesus. That's not how he seizes us. That's not how Peter was in the water. Peter was the three-year-old. We are the three-year-old. The reason I think that we always picture Peter as the more desperate in his reach for Christ is because that's how we feel when we doubt when we doubt, it feels like we are reaching out into nothing and just hoping that there's someone or something out there to grab us. But it isn't his action that saves him. Just like that three-year-old, the three-year-old was not the one who hauled himself out of that uh, water. The three-year-old, if anything, got in the way of his own rescue. This picture would be much more accurately depicted with Jesus diving onto the deck, reaching down and snatching up Peter, hauling him back up, tossing him onto the boat again, and the storm calming down, right? Jesus is the one who makes the effort. Jesus is the one who makes the dive. Jesus is the one who stomped on our graves. 
Jesus is the one who, while we were sinking down, took the weight that was pulling us, sin, and carried it himself. It was Jesus' power that took it to the cross and paid for it there. In all of this, we were worse than useless. We were dead. We were gone. And it was God who took action. Having that in our hearts as we face doubt does do a little something for us. We always are going to have these two minds, but we have a powerful and dramatic rescuer. So, let's return to that question. What if I question my faith? What do I do when, we doubt, when I doubt? Let's take everything that we learned from these verses and let's just pile them on into a couple of quick uh, thoughts. First off, you have to think to yourself, doubt is good. I know that that sounds weird given everything that we've been talking about. But remember, if you are experiencing doubt, then guess what? That means you've still got those two pieces of yourself. You're all, as long as you're alive, you're always going to have those two pieces of yourself, as long as you're alive and Christian. So your doubt is good. It means your new man and your old Adam are still there and contesting with one another. So the doubt in the fundamental way means, congratulations, you have faith. Jesus has you. You want to remember that your faith isn't from you. It wasn't your effort. It wasn't your dive. It wasn't your decision. It wasn't your confidence. It wasn't that you were persuaded that gave you faith. It was realities. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for the sins of the world. You are a part of the world. Therefore, this applies to you. Simple statements of realities and the faith of it brought to you by God himself. Now, this is usually the part where, of the sermon where you might hear, and then read your Bible and pray a lot and grow in your faith, right? And, that, and that's not terrible advice, right? It's not, it's, not, it's just not particularly great advice either, right? Reading your Bible is great, and you should do it, and uh, that is a wonderful way to grow in your faith. But I would suggest that we follow Jude's advice, because Jude just doesn't leave it but talking about us. Jude says, exercise that faith. He points us to doing the same thing that Jesus did in the lives of other people. Right? Be merciful to those who doubt. We know what it is to have two minds. We know what it is to be conflicted. And beyond that, we know that every other human being either has that conflict or needs that conflict. We aren't necessarily going out there to convince people of the truth of Scripture sometimes. Sometimes we're out there to plant an earworm that nags at them and bothers them and causes them to doubt. Because that doubt is a good thing. It means there's faith. It means there's a new man. It means there's something in contention with their old Adam. Be merciful to others who doubt even when it's not in circumstances of faith. Save others. 
by hitting the deck, by hitting the deck, reaching down and grabbing them out of the fire. People are sinking to hell. The same way that we would be diving after a three-year-old who's drowning in a pool, we should dive for the people who are sinking to hell. To, uh, To others, show mercy mixed with fear. It's an interesting little piece of advice at the end here. Mercy mixed with fear. Because remember, the world is also fighting for your soul. And so as long as you are walking out into that world, and you should, uh, I, I, I always think it's odd when we consider Christians to be beleaguered by the world. I've always kind of thought, you know, we're the invaders. This is an evil world, and we're out there trying to save some people out of it. We're the, we're the, uh, we're the ones who are attacking the world, not vice versa. When we go out there, remember that the people that we're trying to save are also part of an influence uh, on ourselves. Show mercy mixed with fear. Hate even the clothing that's been stained by the corrupted flesh. Take what you have. Take your doubt. Take your uncertainty. And say the contradictory statement. Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And carry that certainty and that doubt out into the world. Because it is that faith that saves. Amen.